This is CliffCentral.com. Hello and welcome to another Cliff Central podcast. This is In Conference with Michael Jackson. That's me. I'm a conference speaker traveling the planet. I'm privileged to do that for a living. Having spoken at over 2,500 conferences across the planet, we figured here at Cliff Central it might be a really cool thing for you to meet some really cool people that I get to meet as I'm lucky enough to travel around the planet. Today is no exception. And it's actually intriguing because my guest with me today is a South African legend. He's a political commentator of absolute note. He's built a brand that is absolutely sensational. And also, he's a co-host on this same platform on cliffcentral.com. With the burning platform, the name Justice Malala should ring true for many of you listening to our podcast right now. Justice is a legend. And I'm delighted that we've managed to nail him down in the studio to sit on the other side of the microphone for a change because he terrifies politicians everywhere. And right now he's really bloody nervous about being interviewed by me. (laughs) I am totally nervous. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, Justice, how do you become a political commentator? What's your your background, very briefly? Um, uh, A lot of people go through the usual. They'll go to university, be attached to an institute or or a university and teach and therefore uh, comment and do some research. Mine was a slightly roundabout way. I started off as a journalist. I did study politics um, and I've been a journalist all my life. And so I sort of went into political commentary via the journalism, uh, my my columns in the Times, my column in the Financial Mail. Uh, I do work for ENCA where I've been political uh, uh, analyst, in-house political analyst, and I do a show there as well. And so my journey has really been the fact that Right at the beginning, my family is very political. You you go to my mother's house, um, we don't talk cricket or rugby, we talk football or politics. And most of the time, it's the politics of football and politics pure and simple. So um, from that to studying politics to being a bit of an activist when I was a kid to writing politics on newspapers uh, and then going on to television and doing what I do now. What intrigues me, because before I became a conference speaker, I worked in marketing, but I wanted to be a journalist until I realized how little journalists get paid. (laughs) Um, And I soon changed my mind completely. Journalists write on news, but you make news. Now, that's intriguing because very few journalists actually get the privilege of that crossover. I mean, you are a legend. In South African political uh, terms. I'm going to give you a medal if you say the word legend again. But let me tell you, for me, what started off, and it's been great for me starting off as a journalist, because you, you learn the basics. You learn f- factual, how to report factually, how to make sure that you've, you get stuff right. Uh, who are your sources? How do you make sure that when you start telling people about stuff, it's actually backed up by the facts, by the data, by experts, and so forth and so forth? Most of the time, nowadays, people will have opinion without backing it up with facts, with uh, you know surveys, and so forth and so forth. And so for me, that that first bit of journalism when I was running around reporting on the violence in the 1990s, um, following Nelson Mandela around, Tawun Beke around and so forth. That gave me the, the basis to to be able to say, if you're going to put your opinion out there, if you're going to be, say, a conference speaker and stand up in front of a thousand people and say, this is what's going to happen to Jacob Zuma in six months, in a year, in a year and a half. You need to say, I'm saying that because one, two, three, four, five has happened, and that is precedent that gives us the, the 
inkling of an idea that this is what might happen in the future. So, so that was fantastic for me. Um, mm. and so the making news is, is great because I can defend it. Um, it's one thing to stand up in front of people or go on radio or go on television and say, Oh, you know, this, whatever opinion you might have without being able to back it up. The key thing is to be able down the line in six months when people say, I'll give you an example. A lot of guys at the beginning of the year were saying, Jacob Zuma will be toast by June. He won't be around. The ANC is going to kick him out. They didn't look at the ANC itself and say, what's happening inside the ANC? Where does power lie? And so now, six months later, people are turning around to them and saying, but you said Jacob Zuma will be gone by August 3 when we go and vote. Actually not. And so for me, that that journalistic basis was was fantastic in that sense to give me the the idea that you don't just say stuff, you back it up, you back it up, you back it up. What intrigues me about that as well is that there are very few people in this country today who could make Jacob Zuma quiver or indeed that idiot from the EFF or, or Maimane from the DA. I mean, all of these people get very nervous when they hear Justice Malala's turning up because of those facts, I guess, because you don't swallow spin. I don't, I try not to swallow spin, but I, I wish, I wish our democracy was a little bit more open. You know, I admire Julius Malema, I admire Musi Maimani because they turn up. Three weeks ago, two weeks, two weeks ago, I had, um, Musi Maimani on my show on television. And, you know, I gave him a lot of, uh, shtick. I asked him, will you resign if the DA doesn't increase its, uh, total take of votes on August 3? And, you know, he armed and odd and armed and odd. But uh, he turned up. Julius Malema? He always turns up and asks, uh, and answers the question. In fact, he gives as much as he gets. And I like that. I like people who are not scared to defend their corner. Um, President Jacob Zuma, I've been running a TV show for eight years now on ENCA. We, every month, every second month, we send him a letter just out of, uh, part of the form and say, <laughs> you know, are you coming on? Uh, I once did an ad with an empty, empty chair saying, President Zuma, here's your chair. We're waiting for you. He still hasn't come on the show in eight years. And for me, that is very sad that he... Is that testament to you, though, the, the fact that you are so incisive? Because, look, journalistic standards in this country are appalling. We kowtow, we feed very little of, of, of sense into the media. Yes, I'd, I'd like to think that my journalism tries to bring that... A new element, there's a certain element to it. And I think other people do try to make it that way. I, I have to say though that, that the environment helps. The fact that we are an open democracy helps, uh, and that I can un- ask the kind of questions that I ask and make the comments that I make. Um, well, you can do that outside of the SABC, of course. You yes, can't do it inside you can't the SABC. Do, and that, that when you talk about the standard <clears throat> being appalling and the environment being appalling, the SABC is exactly the kind of rot that that exists in, in parts of our media, and that needs to change. Talk to me about the changing nature of media, though. I mean, the Sunday Times is a, a major national newspaper in yeah, this country. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I arrived in South Africa originally, you had to get up in the morning in your pajamas, rush down to the corner cafe or go to the corner where they were selling the papers, <laughs> and they would sell out in minutes. Yeah. Today, you can drive out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon having showered, eaten breakfast, lunch, and these guys are still hawking a giant pile of newspapers. Indeed. Do you think people are having enough of it? Are they, are they, are they tired of swallowing the same old, same old rubbish? 
They are. And also, I think, uh, you know, I come from a newspaper background. I started on the Star. I was, uh, I was with the Sunday Times for a very long time. I was their London and, and their New York correspondent at some time. So I've been, I've been in that business. I've been, uh, with, with, with print, uh, a huge chunk of my life and I still write for the Times. But I think, in this day and age, and for people who want to be in the kind of uh, environment you and I are in, in speaking, social media, the, the, the platform is no longer just the, the print newspaper. If I um, write my article on a Sunday and it goes into the paper on the Monday morning, you know, thinking that people are reading it in, in the print copy, it's just it doesn't do actually less people are reading it there so i've got to put it out on twitter i've got to put it out on other social platforms social media platforms and make sure that it gets read it gets picked up by other people if you don't do that then then you know it's curtains and i think newspaper the newspaper business uh if it doesn't evolve if it doesn't realize that actually the world is a very different place my kids i complain all the time that my kids are not reading but actually they are. They're reading it on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, on all kinds of other uh, social media platforms. And if, if we don't, if I don't evolve, then I will be writing for that newspaper and 20 people will be reading it and it will be old geezers like me. Quite frankly, it doesn't cut it anymore. So we all have to be very, very aware that television is no longer just sitting in front of the telly. It's also on your various other screens that you're, 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 you're carrying around with you. And, and I think a lot of, say, a lot of speakers uh, don't, don't realize that you have to make that leap into this really um, complex, brave new world. I want to come into your speaking career in a moment as well, because I've seen you on stages across the country, across the region, and you electrify audiences live as much as I hope you're doing to our podcast audience now. But let's just talk about you, the man, for a minute. Did you ever imagine in your wildest early journalistic dreams that you would become this icon, this this bastion of of free speech and true democracy? No, no, not at all. I I I got into this business to have fun. I liked I I like I like politics, and I I wanted to interact more with politics. But I I've never felt comfortable with being in a political party. I don't like being told that this is the line. Um, and I think many of us. Uh, like you, like other people I know you work with, we, we like to have, we like to make up our own minds and then present that, that new thinking, that different thinking to audiences across, uh, across the country. Across and your the stuff world. is highly original. And so, yes, absolutely. And so, so, you know, if you're in the DA or the EFF or the ANC, you have to follow the line of the party and that that for me wasn't wasn't the thing so i always wanted to be able to and i've admired a lot of people a lot of people in the ANC a lot of other political players who were who were very original in their thinking if you think about in south africa you think about a book like cry the beloved country by alan payton yeah in its when it came out in the early late 40s early 50s it was totally new. People had revolutionary, never, revolutionary. Yeah. and I like that. I like the idea of having a basic principle. Um, you know, Alan Payton was very big on non-racialism, on saying we are human beings. Now, for white South Africa in the 1950s, this was what's this guy doing and what's he saying? But it was original. It was presented in an amazing, beautiful way. Um, and it shook up the world and this country. And so I like that. Uh, those are the people who, 
who influence me, uh, who who make me think maybe you can present a picture of the world in a way in a way that many other people haven't thought about and and that makes for an original so it's making so people think it's making people think it's making people shift a little bit of their prejudices and their uh, and what they've always held as as truth it's not always that that we can be different that how can, proud of you is your mum <laughs> my mum my mum sometimes thinks she thinks I talk a little bit too much sometimes, but she's very proud of me. Does she ever and give you a clip around the ear and say, pull yourself together, Malala, you can sort your life out here? I stay I stay about two meters away from her just in case. She has done it before. Do you ever fear for yourself? I haven't. I haven't because, you know, all around me I see I see an ANC in turmoil and I think there are guys inside the ANC who are putting themselves out there. Think about the guy who's the Deputy Finance Minister, Mkribisi Jonas. He stands up and says the president's friends, the Gupta family, said to him, oh, do you want the job of finance minister? He's in Jacob Zuma's uh, cabinet, and, yeah. uh, and he's brave enough to say that. So people like that inspire me. I think, I think Guy, you know what? You put principle above, above your livelihood, and, um, and you're in danger. You never thought you'd been followed, people tracking you, wondering what you're doing, threatening phone calls or SMSs <laughs> late. At, well, never an SMS because you could track it down, yeah. right? But but I've I've been told that you know I mean a lot of journalists a lot of journalists that I'm close to have been followed, have been spied upon. If you think about the guys at the Mail and Guardian who did amazing investigative work, I know for a fact that they have been followed around, particularly in the 2000s uh, early. 2011, 2010, and so forth, particularly in the run-up to ANC conferences, say, in 2012. Mm. That said, I haven't seen that happening to me. I know that people have said to me, Justice, you're definitely uh, being bugged or, you know, followed around and so forth. You know, I mean, whoever that James Bond might be uh, who's following me around, shame, they, they'll find that my life is very boring. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't fear, but I am very aware that if I don't speak and other people don't speak about what happens and what is happening in this country, then we'll get to a point where we are like Zimbabwe, where we are like other places where I cannot speak anymore. So the more open we are, the more contested the intellectual spaces, the better for all of us. Now, talking of speaking, as I mentioned, you you appear on conference platforms. I mean, companies are pounding after you. You're in massive demand. You know, come to our company conference. Tell us what's really going on. How easy was that transition for you away from your journalistic career hiding behind a screen <laughs> to getting out live and doing it in front of large audiences for corporates across the country? I, I have to tell you, you, you don't know, you, you probably don't realize this, but you're one of the key people who made me actually speak. Um, and I'll tell you, I grew up in Hamanskral and I've got this, I call it a speech defect, but a lot of people say, ooh, you know, you must have learned English in France or whatever. I can't pronounce the letter R. Now, if you're growing up in Hamanskral, north of Pretoria, no one else has this speech defect. So the key thing about when you meet a gorgeous girl and you're 16 and you're pimply is that you go up to them in Sesotho, you say, which is, I love you. Yes. Now, heck, here I am. You saying, can't pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. And the girl is going, what are you saying? What oh, are you man. Are? So, you know, so I come to Joburg. I start my job. And I'm, I'm self-conscious all the time about this R. 
you know, this guy can what's what's wrong with this guy? Um, <laughs> so you can imagine I'm hiding, as you say, behind my uh, at the time this massive, massive terminal, and then you know my laptop. I don't have to speak to anyone. You just type, uh, and yep. I just type. <clears throat> um, and I remember you were at a conference. Um, this must have been 2008, um, and you said. And, and I'd been asked to speak It must have been my, like my second time Or my third time And so you asked me Afterwards you said Oh man, you know We're starting up this new uh, speaker bureau um, Someone will get in touch with you And uh, and a fantastic guy Paul McConnell got in touch with me And said, you know He's starting up this thing um, Will I be one of the one of The, uh, the founders The founding members of, yeah. this, uh, of this team and so, and so, were that, you nervous? Did we make you nervous then, Mr. Malala? Were oh, you? No, I was, I was nervous. I remember I was in there. I, so I had to speak at this conference I was at, and thankfully I had to speak for only 10 minutes. And, uh, Mike Schusler, the economist, spoke, and someone else I can't remember who, um, also spoke. And so, you know, and Mike is a fantastic guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he sits there and he says, uh, I won't say words like, <laughs> but he'll say, I mean, this is rubbish and, oh, go jump in the lake. He's a, he's a great panelist. And so, and so, you know, I, I, I still get very nervous today about, about speaking. But um, you love doing it. I love doing it. It's the adrenaline, but also the ability to just stand in front of people and, and do something different and, uh, and, and get them thinking differently is fantastic. It's awesome to hear you from the other side of the table as well, being interviewed rather than being <laughs> under pressure myself. And I know that you're in massive demand everywhere. Time is always against us on a 15-minute show, Justice, but thank you for taking time away from your own burning platforms, your show here on Cliff Central, as well as all the stuff that you're doing. More power to you, mate. I just wish you even more success in what really is a stellar career. You really are, and I'll take the medal, you really are a legend. <laughs> Thanks so much. Michael, it's been an uh, absolute pleasure speaking to you, and thank you for everything you've done for me. I mean, you've uh, you got me doing this, and I'm doing it virtually every day now. The pleasure was mine and the whole of South Africa's. Justice Malala, legend in his own lunchtime. How's that? <laughs> this is the man who makes politicians quake. He told us he was nervous before he did this podcast. How cool is that? That's the caliber of guest you meet on the show. That's in conference with Michael Jackson. And I hope you're downloading plenty of our previous podcasts as well as all of those to come. From myself and Justice Malala, thanks for being with us. It's been a real pleasure. This is Cliff Central. Dot com. This is cliffcentral.com.